When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I try to take what's happening today and relate it to what's happening in Holy Scripture and other places as well. And today, we are still with the story of Joseph and the story of Jacob, who's also known as Israel, and the story of us as well. We uh, get a little glimpse into Jacob's bucket list here. Genesis 45. He says, I must see him before I die. He says about his son, Joseph. Remember, he has thought that Joseph was killed by wild animals out in the wilderness. Um, Surely his mind is reeling, adjusting to a new reality. I don't know if you've ever had to adjust to new information. Um, And this is good information, but it still requires an adjustment. It still requires a complete recalculation of the last, I don't know how many years it's been, 20 years at least, of life. Um, The grief that he has poured out for his son's death. Um, And grief is one of those things that never really goes away when we lose someone. It doesn't disappear. It changes over time for sure. And it maybe gets a little easier to live with, but it doesn't go away. And our minds return to our losses, especially people we've lost, um, people that are often our age or younger, um, where we don't quite seem to be able to make sense of why They have gone from us so early. And especially a child, we can only imagine that for Jacob, what that must feel like to think about the violent death of his son. And now it says he's stunned and he couldn't believe them. And his spirit revives. I love how that new glimpse of a promise, the promise that his children would have thriving futures that he had been given by God. This promise that he had clung to and then saw dashed in, in the death of his son. That promise has come back. His spirit is revived. The, the, the narrator here switches between the name Jacob, the heel grabber, the supplanter, the deceiver, to Israel, the strong one, the strong wrestler. Um, It says the heart of his father Jacob revived. And then Israel says, enough. My son Joseph is alive. I must go see him before I die. It's almost like the narrator is telling us that he's changed names again. God named him Israel after wrestling with him on the bank of the Jabbok Creek. And now he is Israel again. It sort of tells us that for these last number of years, he has not been Israel. He has been Jacob again. In our grief, we are often tempted to revert to old patterns of life, the kind of things that helped us through back in the old days. Um, Maybe that was being a liar. Maybe that was deceiving. Maybe that was being the trickster. Maybe that was 
um, being chemically dependent on substances. Maybe that was some other way that we coped with our fear and our anxiety and our, and our, and our terror. And Jacob has certainly done some of that. Um, the fact that he is, um, he is going back to old Jacob instead of embracing the new Israel. In our baptism, God has renamed us. Um, that is one of the beauties of the Christian faith, is that we have a new identity in Christ. As Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That mystery and between of the union between us and Christ is one that we're never quite sure of where we stop and he begins or where he we end and he begins. Um, we are identified with Christ. Therefore, all the good things in our life um, are mingled with Christ's goodness. And all the things that um, are from, uh, that, that tempt us to draw us from the love of God are our old selves that are still with us in many ways. Jacob is still Jacob, even though he is Israel. And yet here in this moment of joy and rejoicing, he gets a new start as Israel. Joseph is alive. I must go see him before I die. This bucket list that he must do um, is partly because um, he has seen his own sons come back to him, and they are different. Remember Joseph told them not to quarrel on the way home? Um, It was their quarreling, their argument, that ended up with his being sold into slavery. Um, they had an argument about what to do with Joseph. Um, and this argument resulted in the disaster of sending him away. And yet this disaster has now come back as a blessing. It's come back as a blessing. Um, Joseph is alive. And this is what God always does. God brings new life out of death. God brings new life out of the death of our dreams the death of our hopes, the death of what we thought our lives would be, the way we thought things would go, and sometimes those things die. And it is out of those things that God brings new life, often in ways that we never expected. When Jacob woke up that morning, he did not expect to hear that his son, Joseph, who had been killed by wild animals, was the ruler of Egypt. He did not, he was not ready for that. He did not think that would happen to him. And yet out of the death of Joseph, the death that he thought had happened, comes this new life. And so I would invite you, if you are experiencing death today, grief, loss, to make a little space for hope, for some small hope, or maybe a big hope, but some small hope to break through your grief today. God can do that. God did that for Jacob after many, many years of waiting. And he does that for us. And so maybe you're still in that waiting phase. Maybe you're experiencing it right now. And maybe God will give you that hope today. And we always ought to hold out hope for that because God does this. God does this again and again and again. And sometimes it's hard to believe that this can even happen. It's hard to It's easy to give up hope and despair and resign ourselves to our fate. And yet the life of faith is a constant believing or hoping to believe 
that good things can happen. Maybe not in the way we expect them to happen. Maybe not in the ways we've demanded them to happen. But often in ways that happen. And it's always God. And it's always us. And it's always Jacob becoming Israel. And us becoming who God has always meant us to be again and again and again. Amen. Gregory the Illuminator um, goes all the way back to the era of another pivotal moment in Christian history, the reign of Emperor Constantine. Um, And Armenia was the first nation state to become Christian um, before Rome and all that made that transition. They were the first ones to do that. Um, and it doesn't mean that like life was real good or anything when that happened. Um, they still had all the problems that every other um, nation state has. But uh, Gregory the Illuminator was part of that movement of conversion of the king and others. Um, king Tiridates um, was the king um, at the time. And this may not seem strange to us who know a lot about medieval history and how Europe became Christian countries with Christian kings and all those sorts of things. But um, this was a big deal. It was a big shift for Christianity. Um, and I would argue a good one um, in that before that, uh, Christians were persecuted by nation states. Not always. Um, the persecutions of early the early church were not all the time. They were sporadic and volatile and would come and go and there would be periods of peace and then there would be periods of persecution depending on who was in charge and what they wanted or what they thought the Christians had that they could take. And this went back and forth and uh, the work of Gregory the Illuminator as a church planter, because that's what he was, a church planter in a very hostile environment, um, This allowed for Christians to function openly in society and contribute to their community and culture. It's strange that many Christians today seem to be okay with the word community. Um, That's a good thing to be involved in your community. But when you say like, you should be involved in your nation, because that's a kind of community too. Often Christians are a little more hesitant. There's more at stake. They seem We seem to sometimes have our personal beliefs subsumed into the beliefs of the nation, which are never quite 100% compatible with Christianity. The waging of war, the maintaining of public order, the prevention of disease, all the things that nations are responsible for often are um, at odds with some Christian values at times. And that was true in the um, third and fourth centuries as well. Christian nations had to figure out how to follow Jesus and still do all the stuff that a nation has to do from time to time. Things like administer court systems and maintain armies and go to battle and all all those other things that Christians had not fully done as Christians before that. There were Christians serving in the Roman army before Rome became Christian Many Christians served in the Roman army. Some were persecuted, some were not. Um, and that is, that is um, part of our 
um, history too. But Gregory the Illuminator was part of that. He went to the Council of Nicaea, the council that established the Nicene Creed as the normative expression of the Christian faith and what we believe about God and who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is as well. This time period is often um, often thought of as a big loss for true Christianity. You'll hear that often. Christianity was perfect or really cool up until Constantine, up until we have the Christian nations emerging, and then it became bad and evil and oppressive. Um, but again, like everything, um, there's always more to the story. And I believe ultimately this was a good thing um, in the long run. Armenia has produced many wonderful Christians over the years, um, and the Armenian persecutions of the uh, by the Turkish nation state, um, the Ottoman state, uh, was devastating, and that's why many Armenians fled to Jerusalem. And if you go to Jerusalem today, there's an Armenian quarter of Jerusalem, um, a special area designated for the Armenian Christians who live there. Um, Famous among Armenian Christians today is probably Kim Kardashian and her family, um, most famous Armenian Christians in America, maybe the world today, but there are many others as well. Um, When when, uh, Kim Kardashian and her then-husband, Kanye, went uh, to Jerusalem to have their daughter baptized, they were baptized in, I believe, West was baptized in an Armenian church there. So the legacy of the Armenian Christians lives on today, (laughs) not just in our celebrity culture, but in very deep ways that our faith has been molded and shaped by these who have gone before us. So we pray today, Almighty God, who willest to be glorified in thy saints and didst raise up thy servant Gregory the Illuminator to be a light in the world and to preach the gospel to the people of Armenia, shine, we pray thee, in our hearts, that we also in our generation may show forth thy praise, who has called us out of darkness into thy marvelous light, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably have heard of Arminians and Armenians. They are very different things. An Arminian is someone who follows the theology of Jacob Arminius, He was a Dutch pastor and theologian who lived around the time of the Reformation who believed that the Calvinism, the Dutch Calvinism that was being taught in Holland at the time, had some problems. And he came up with five points to counter the Dutch Calvinists that he was in dialogue with. And his followers became known as Arminians, who didn't believe in certain Dutch Calvinist um, beliefs like the limited atonement of Jesus on the cross, that Jesus only died for the elect. Arminius said Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, for everybody, and people just choose not to believe in him. Um, The most famous Arminian probably for Anglicans is John Wesley, uh, who started the Methodist Church. So you may hear the term Arminian today that's totally different than the nation-state and Christian tradition of Armenia. Those are different places and different things. I always thought to put that out there since I was confused by that for many years. Let's pray a collect for mission on page 58. 
O God, who hast made of one blood all the peoples of the earth, and did send thy blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and those who are near, grant that people everywhere may seek after thee and find thee, bring the nations into thy fold, pour out thy Spirit upon all flesh, and hasten the coming of thy kingdom, through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.